his face and said, Mr. Graham, with all due respect, he said, you have set the church back 50 years. And Billy Graham said, as only Billy Graham could, he said, I really apologize about that. He said, that was definitely not my goal. He said, I, I really regret uh, that that's your perception. He said, my goal was to set the church back 2,000 years. Oh. <laughs> I wish I was there. I'd be behind him going, yeah, take that. <laughs> what Billy Graham said. But we do need to be careful. If we think about what he's saying, we need to be careful. We don't forget that we're on a mission. We need to forget that we as a church have a responsibility uh, no matter where we're at, no matter what place that is on the globe, certainly here at home in our nation that we live in. And we need to be careful that, really careful that we don't spend all of our time just talking about the problems, spending all of our times cursing the darkness. But we need to remember that we're called to be light and darkness. That's what we're called to be. And, uh, and so we need to remember that we're called to, uh, yes, be uh, good citizens of this country, but we are dual citizens. We are citizens of a heavenly home. We are citizens of a, a place that will uh, never fall, a kingdom that will never fall, and a king who will forever reign. And so we are called, listen to, as we live in a free country, to make sure we're spending our time seizing the freedoms that we're celebrating today and not taking those for granted, but using that freedom. And seizing it to move through our lives, in our community, throughout our days, pointing people to the ultimate freedom that their soul really needs. And I think George Washington, when he said this, was really getting at that, of remembering who we are as a Christian. He said, while we, zealously, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. I think he's talking about pure and undefiled religion right there. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. And as we go back to Acts... We're going to continue through the narrative in Acts. In Acts 16, we're remembering and we're learning and we're being reminded of what that character looks like. Uh, who we're called to be. What mission we're called to continue to focus on and be on in this country and in our world. And a major part of that mission is as we walk through the darkness, pointing people to the light of the world who has impacted and collided with our lives. And now we're walking through this world pointing sinners to that same Savior. Now, we have a, a story right here uh, that is going to help uh, encourage us to do that. Uh, so stand with your Bibles open in Acts chapter 16. I'll begin to read in verse six, 16. As we're going to the place of prayer, let me pause there. What just happened in this story? A woman was saved. And we know as the gospel advances, what happens? The enemy is going to attack. So as we are going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain from her fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Probably sounded a lot more creepy and scary than that, being demon possessed. And this, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, I pray that you would today meet with us and uh, speak through me. I pray you'd protect this room from this man's opinion, but your word would speak to our hearts. And uh, Lord, we are thankful again to live in a country that is, that is free. We know with the problems that we have in our nation that we are still the, the freest place on earth, and we are grateful and blessed to live here. Help us not to take that for granted, and we, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, help us to, to be most appreciative and grateful um, for the, the heavenly citizenship we've been given because of the gospel. 
And Lord, help us to, as we walk through our lives here uh, in uh, the place that you've placed us each and every day, um, that we would, uh, Lord, point people to you faithfully, that we would uh, be people on a mission. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what Acts does, as we mentioned last week, is it focuses in on, we've been talking about the mission, thousands of people are getting saved, and it focuses in on three people who got saved at the very beginning of Paul's second missionary journey uh, at their first stop. They finally get to their first stop in Philippi, and Luke joined them in Troas. They uh, sail across the sea, get to modern-day Greece, go into Philippi, a very prominent Roman city, and they begin to share the gospel, and the gospel takes root for the first time on European soil in the life of a lady named Lydia. And so that was the first person that that Luke got to see the gospel collide with, and it impacted him. And we believe that's one reason why we see him writing this story down. And and the next person is the one we're looking at this morning. And next week, we're going to look at uh, the jailer and his conversion. But he focuses on these three people who are all different kinds of people who all have the same common problem, which is sin, but who all need the same solution, who is Jesus, who is the Savior. And as we study their lives, what we see is a, you know, that the gospel, it, it can, it's for everybody. It can save anybody. Uh, we see people from diverse backgrounds, different stories, different rap sheets when it comes to their sins, uh, you know, different socioeconomic statuses. But we see the gospel collide with all their lives in the same way because they go from death to life. And these people represent even well today as we walk through America 2021, the same type of people that we are called to take the gospel to. People that you play golf with, people that you go to school with, people that who are in your family, uh, people who are uh, in your neighborhoods, uh, people in this room. So these three people, you know, really represent the type of people that the gospel continues uh, to reach and save. Last week we looked at Lydia, who is kind of a rich, well-to-do. A religious lady owned a high-end member boutique selling purple linens, which is a royal color. So she had some uh, royal, really important customers. She had some money. She she has a big house. Uh, She looked put together. She believed in God. She was a lady in the community that people look at as a leader. You know, she had her stuff together. She led well, uh, led a business, business owner, and she was religious. So she feared God. She's kind of like Cornelius to where she believed in God. She feared the God of Israel, as it says, but she wasn't saved. And so Paul shares the gospel with her. What does it say the Holy Spirit does? Opens up her heart. Paul did not open up her heart. Paul delivered the message. The Holy Spirit opened up her heart and gave her the faith to believe. And so if you had to give kind of one gospel description on what Lydia found or kind of described her experience, I would say when her life collided with the gospel, maybe satisfaction, true satisfaction would be the word. She had been in the world. She had in her arms and in her possessions, everything at that time people would have said would make you happy. People looked at Lydia and said, she's got it all. And yet deep down, she didn't have it all. She had nothing because she didn't have Christ. And she she experiences forgiveness, experienced new life, but also experienced true satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ. And then we move from her to this next girl. She's a young lady. She doesn't get her name put here. And so this morning, we are going to call her, instead of demonic girl or slave girl, we're going to call her Python girl. Now, you're wondering, did he just say what I thought? Uh, Python girl? It'll make a lot more sense here in a minute. All right. In fact, I, I got that. I kind of stole that or borrowed that from a commentary where I was reading where they, uh, the heading for this part of the story was Paul and the Python girl. It'll make more sense in just a moment. But what we see with her collision with the gospel is a lady that experiences true and lasting freedom. True and lasting freedom. Verse 16, it explains that Paul and Silas are being followed around by this. It's this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Uh, that 
first uh, phrase should stick out to you, a slave girl who knows what she's been through, who knows what's happened to her or what she's done, who knows how people have taken advantage of her, this marginalized woman uh, who is walking around now, she's demon-possessed, uh, what kind of awful life she's living. Not only is she uh, you know, being uh, oppressed by, uh, by, by human you know, slave masters, but also she's being spiritually oppressed by this demonic spirit. So she has a very different background to Lydia, doesn't she? F.F. F. Bruce, the commentator, says this, that Luke uh, lays these two examples side by side in order to show how the saving name of Jesus proved its power in the lives of the most diverse types of people. I don't care what your background is this morning. I don't care what you've done, where you're from, who you are. The gospel can save you. Jesus is mighty to save. It says uh, she had the spirit of divination. All right, The Greek way that you would read that, if you're reading this in the Greek New Testament, that phrase would read like this, pneuma pithona. It literally means a python spirit. All right? That make, hopefully makes sense. Python girl. No? Let me explain a little more. All right? In Greek, mytho- in Greek mythology, python was like a dragon-like serpent who stood guard over a mythical place called Delphi. All right? And there were priestesses at Delphi, and they were called uh, 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 Pythii. All right? And I'm not going to nerd out on this too much. I'm losing some of you. Uh, but they, they said that these priestesses in this mythological story would, would have been overcome with the spirit of Python who enabled them to tell uh, people's fortunes. And so she's walking around telling people's fortunes. They just label her as the Python girl. All right. And so in, in their minds, they think that she's been possessed by this mythological uh, Python serpent-like God who has given her the ability to tell people's fortunes. Well, Paul walks into town. He sees through that and he knows that this is spiritual oppression. He sees this is demonic activity, that she is possessed by a demon and demonic power is powerful. We need to remember that. We serve a mighty God. We serve the God who is the most powerful. We serve the God who wins. We serve Jesus who reigns triumphantly. But we also have an enemy while we walk this earth. Before we leave this earth and go to heaven, we have an enemy that's after us who who is stronger than we are, who is powerful and spiritually powerful. And we see that happening right here in the life of this young lady. It says she's following Paul and Silas around town and crying out, these men are, now listen to this. She's she's saying these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. That sounds like a pretty good sermon. It sounds like she could maybe join their team, right? She's coming up right next to him saying the right things. It sounds right. It sounds true. But what I believe is happening is Satan is slithery. He's cunning. He's sneaky. And he's sneaking up next to this mission team after seeing the gospel take root on European soil, knowing that was a powerful moment in the movement of the mission of the gospel advancing. I mean, that that gospel taking root on European soil, Europe's the stage on which the rest of the world ends up being reached. It's not completely reached yet, but from there it reached a a huge part of the rest of the world. This is a big moment in the history of the church. And right after this first lady is converted, what happens? Here comes Satan slithering up. Has this girl saying the right things? And I believe what's happening is Satan is trying to make allies with this mission team, trying to distract them from the work that they're there to do. And that's what Satan does. As the Puritans say, they say this, Satan will say a hundred true things in order to set you up to believe the hundred first thing that's false. And the purpose of the testimony right here of this lady is to destroy the work of Jesus. What have we discovered in this series? That as the gospel advances, the enemy will attack. You'll find that in your own life. You'll find that in a local church as they seek to do gospel work and gospel ministry. 
But we also learn from this story, don't miss it, this is really important, don't just hear that and not hear this part. We learn that as the enemy attacks, the gospel remains triumphant. It says there, Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I love that part. I don't know. That's, it may not seem like an important part in your Bible to, to underline, but that just blesses my heart. You know why? Because I get easily annoyed sometimes, all right? No, I'm the only one that gets easily annoyed. Y'all are looking at me like you never get annoyed, all right? That's encouraging. The great apostle Paul, we look up the greatest Christian to, to ever follow Christ or example that we have in, in the Bible. It just makes me feel a little bit better that he got greatly annoyed, all right? But Paul... Finally, he's more than annoyed. He's not going to stand for the muddying of the gospel. He sees what's going on and he turns around, exercises the spirit and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And in a moment, she's delivered. It says it came, out of, it came out that very hour. We're not sure if this was a conversion. We're not sure if this was a salvation story. I personally believe that it is. But it definitely serves as a picture of the power of Jesus' ability to set spiritual slaves free. Before Paul turns around and casts this demon out, she really serves as a picture of your life apart from Christ. The first point this morning is, I want to give a word to the enslaved. A word to to the enslaved, and here's the exhortation, be free. You can experience freedom this morning. And you know what, Jesus, as we see in this story, the name of Jesus is what's casting this demon out. Jesus is the only one who can set you free. Jesus is the only one who has the power to free people from demonic bondage. Jesus is the only one who has the power to free people from the bondage of sin. Jesus is the only one who has the freedom to free people from the bondage of idolatry. The problem is not a whole lot of people believe they're in bondage or spiritual slavery in the first place. You may even hear that phrase this morning spiritual slavery and think, certainly my life's not bad that it has to be labeled as spiritual slavery. But God's word explains that apart from Christ, it's very offensive. By the way, in order for you to receive a gospel that is better than anything else, you have to first be offended by it. Because the Bible comes along and says some things about us that we don't like. And in our culture, we're taught to not like. Because the culture tells us some different things about our heart. The Bible comes along and says, apart from Christ, you're living under the domain of darkness. You're an enemy of God. It says you have a bad, wicked, wretched heart. That's different than every Disney movie that I've ever seen. And I've seen all of them. All right, my kids. I'm an expert. Disney movies kind of give the impression that you got, listen, you got a nice little cotton candy heart. And it's precious and it's sweet. You just follow that little heart and its desires and it'll lead you to places that are magical and good. Right? When Jeremiah 17, 9 says something different. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm still waiting on a Disney movie with a princess that'll sing a song about that. (laughs) That's not politically correct, but it's biblically correct. Ephesians 2, 3 says, apart from Christ, we are children of wrath. Jesus himself said in John 8, people who live in sin are slaves to sin. You may be saying, I don't feel like a slave. You keep talking about at, at church. I've heard this saved. I don't, I don't I, like I'm lost. I, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel like I'm lost. I feel like I'm okay. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I don't need to be set free from spiritual bondage. I mean, if there is a God, maybe you're thinking, you know, certainly he knows I'm not like a complete jerk. Hopefully he knows that I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying somewhat to be a, you know, productive member of society. I try to work hard. You know, I make some mistakes, but trust me, I got some family members. I'm not the worst one, right? Compared to some people, I, I'm, I'm looking pretty good, right? So certainly if there's a God, he would look at me and, and say, you know, yeah, he's not perfect, but he, he'll do. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. If you have trouble 
digesting and receiving with humility the truth that you're a spiritual slave and that you have a dead, wicked heart that has separated you from God and that you, without Christ, are an enemy of God. You are not alone. Don't miss the irony of today, by the way. July 4th, right? That means uh, later on today to celebrate our freedom, we'll be blowing some stuff up, right? (laughs) Shooting some stuff high into the dark sky and blowing it up. And that's what we do. It's fun. I like that. Now, I am getting a little more grumpy as I get older. I don't know, like last night, I was peeking, I was like, it's too early. People are already blowing stuff up, right? My dogs are getting upset. I'm peeking through the blinds like a grumpy old man, like, oh, teenage punks out there blowing stuff up. (laughs) Don't miss the irony of what's going to happen tonight as you're going to hear a lot of that. Because what's happening, we're doing that, people are doing that in the name of celebrating freedom. And I want to say again, we're grateful that we get to celebrate. We're freedom-loving people. All right, but don't fail to see the irony will happen a day that there will be people who are living in a democracy, a republic, a free nation, and will be celebrating that shooting fireworks, and yet it's the same nation that's full of a bunch of spiritual captives. People shooting fireworks off to celebrate freedom, and it's a culture busting at the seams with people who are spiritually enslaved and don't even see it. That in light of the holiness of God, it's not about comparing yourself to someone else. It's about comparing yourself to the creator of the universe, a holy God who is perfect. It's comparing yourself and how you can keep up with his law. And I'm, trust me, you go down the Ten Commandments, you're not going to get very far. You're going to find you've broken it. You've broken every single one of them. You're a spiritual captive according to God's word. You have a heart that's sinful. You're spiritually dead. You're separated from him. You're a captive in in a domain of darkness. And millions remain in that state enslaved to their sin nature. As enslaved to their sin nature as this girl's oppressed by this spirit right here. And the only thing that will break those chains is the only thing that broke her chains. And it's the gospel. It's Jesus. Here's the message of the hope that's found in the gospel, that you can be set free by the power of the gospel. Some of you say, well, I've tried it, right? I, I've heard this before. You know, I, I, tried, I tried Jesus. I tried him on. It didn't fit my life very well. I, I went on a Jesus diet. It really, it really didn't do much for me. I test drove this thing called faith. It didn't do much for me. I tried Jesus and it didn't free me. And you fill the blank with whatever sin enslaves you, dominates you. That might be the expression of that that sin problem you have in your life that that rules you and you've never been free from it. That's the problem. Here's the problem. Jesus is not a test market drug to try. He's a savior king who's personal, who who is meant to be known for you to surrender your life to. You can be free only when you bow your knee to him as king and repent of your sin and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a word to the enslaved. I also want to give a word to the free. Are you free this morning? Are you free in Christ? Have you exp- Two people are free in Christ this morning. That's encouraging, all right? Is there more of you who are free in Christ this morning? There you go. I want you to think about this demon-possessed girl right here. In the moment, think about that moment, how powerful that is, how quickly it happens, how explosive this is. You know, they couldn't see it with their eyes, but what's happening in that spiritual realm would have been explosive. These chains flying off of her spiritually. She goes from a moment of being, uh, uh, you know, overcome with unrest and not satisfied and and possessed to being overwhelmed in a moment as her life collided with the name of Jesus, with, with feeling joy and being filled with peace and the spirit of God and having those spiritual chains fall off of her. Because of the name of Jesus. And I think it's a great picture of the freedom that we experience when we come to Christ. Now, the type of freedom that we get to experience, it could be 
described like this, and there's three parts to it, and here's the first part of it. Let's, let's walk through this together and let's think about it because what I want to happen this morning is I want all of us to get fired up, fired up not just about firing off fireworks later today. I want us to get fired up this morning about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. First, in Christ, we experience freedom from the penalty of our sin. You know, a, a, a theological word for that is justified that helps us understand how we arrive at that place to be free from the penalty of sin. We're eternally in Christ declared as justified. That's a theological word that we'll walk through for a second. Galatians 2, 16 says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You know what? This verse reminds us of this, that... Our hope for eternal life, that your hope for forgiveness for your sins, that your hope for having a right standing in the presence of a holy God, having a right relationship with a holy God who you're separated with from because of your sins, that your hope for that is in one of two places. It's either in your own merits or on the mercies of Christ. It's either on your own merits or God's mercies. It's either on your goodness or your hope is in his goodness. It's either on your works or his work for you that's already been accomplished. It, it can't be in both places. It's in one of the two. Your own merits, his mercy. No, Listen, no one is justified. That verse is saying no one's justified. No one's vindicated. No one's accepted by God into his family by the works of the law. Listen, you can try. You can try to earn your way there. You can kind of sit back and ignore what God's word saying this morning and think you can get there by, hey, even, even a lot of religious activity on you just trying to be a good person. You can come to church a lot. You can read your Bible. You can attend church. You can go to small group. All those are really good things. But listen, none of those will wash away the sin stain off of your heart. The works of your hands, as Adam and Eve found out in the Garden of Eden, as they sewed together those fig leaves trying to hide from God, the work of your hands is not good enough. You won't be the first one to get to him by good works, I promise. If you aren't a Christian, the first thing Jesus wants to do in your life is to take from you all of your sense of self-righteousness. To get you to a place where you realize that the worst person in my life is me. I, it's not sin out there that I'm to be focused on. I, I'm to be focused like I'm a sinner. Like there's sin in here. There's sin in my heart. And I need to be made right with God. And I don't get there by trying harder. I don't get there by checking off a list of religious activities. I get there by placing my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the remission of your sins, a status change happens. Our status changes in the sight of God. It's not when we get more religious. It changes when we believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And we go from being condemned to being justified. Think about that word. If you're taking notes, justified. Look, look at that word kind of in your mind. Justified and think just as if I never sinned. Justified. That means when God looks at you in Christ Jesus, he sees you just as if you never sinned. And you think, how can this work? How can the God who, who is the holy creator of everything, the judge of, over everything, how can he move through this earth and change the lives of sinners? How can he take sinners into his, his fellowship, into his presence, into his family? He did it by sending his son to live the life we couldn't live. Jesus came and he did all the things we can't do. He kept the law perfectly. He loved people like you should, like we can't naturally love people. 
He never lusted with his eyes after a person or thing. He never coveted what someone else had. He treated poor people like you should treat them. He did all the right things we can't do, and he didn't do all the unrighteous things that we have a tendency to participate in. He lived sinlessly and perfectly, fulfilled all the demands of the law, and he earned a righteousness, and then he turns around when you trust in Jesus Christ, and he gives it to you. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies for our sins. Does he die for his sins? He dies for our sins. And there he pays the penalty for our sins. He steps into the wrath of God so that we can experience the grace of God. He steps into the wrath of God so that we can experience the pardon of God. Is that not awesome? And that may, you know, I struggled a little bit this morning and tempted to get discouraged because I was like, this feels like just old news. I mean, we talk about this a lot. Let me tell you, it may be old news, but it never should become anything but good news. Should never stop being good news. This should make our bones come alive. This should this should stir the affections of our hearts. You know what this means? You know what it means that you're justified? You know what it means that you've been freed from the penalty of sin? It means you don't have to play religious games anymore. It means you can get off the religious performance treadmill. That's going to get you nowhere. It's going to make you more frustrated. God's freed us from being spiritually insecure, wondering, am I good enough? You know why? Because this is the invitation of Christianity. Take yourself off of yourself. Take your, take your eyes off of yourself. Take your eyes off of your works. Take your eyes off of your religious activities that we can stand on and be so proud of. And, and turn your eye to Jesus Christ. And that's enough. That's enough to make you justified. And in him, we're eternally declared as justified. And you know what that means? It means if that's you, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to fear, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. You don't have to fear death. He frees us from the demands of the law and, and the condemnation, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been freed from those fears. You've been freed from the power of shame. You know what this means? You know what justification means if you're in Christ? You know what that status change means? You know what it means to be freed from the penalty of sin and to be looked differently uh, on your life by God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's covered you? You know what that means? You're free to be real. You're free to admit your weaknesses and your struggles. Why? Because God, he knows you better than you know yourself. We can pretend around people at church and pretend like we got our stuff together. But God looks at you. He fully knows you. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are fully known. Everything, everything bad you've ever done, every sinful thing you'll ever do, you are fully known. And yet at the same time in Christ, he fully loves you. That means we're free to own our sin. It means we're free to own our brokenness and to repent with joy and love and hope because we're free. We're free in Christ. Second, in Christ, we're, we experience freedom from the power of sin. Penalty sin. Second thing is this, free from the power of sin. Romans 6, 6 says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Oh, please lean in and listen to this. This is identity language. If you know Christ, this is true about your life. If you know Christ, you've been justified. You've been brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have been filled with a power. An incredible power. 
You've been set free from sin. You know what it means? It means this, that when Christ died, you died. It means when Christ rose, you rose. That you have a newness of life inside of you. That something supernatural happened in that moment. Something amazing happens when a person trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You literally share in Jesus' resurrection. Romans 8.11 says this. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. That is a truth you need to continuously, part of the gospel, you need to continuously preach to your heart every day. Does that sound confusing sometimes when we say preach the gospel to your heart? Like some of, you know, some of us, uh, you make, I don't really, that, I don't know how to hold on to that. This is part of it. Preach this to your heart every single day. I've been raised with Christ. I'm, I'm not dead in my sins anymore. I have new life. I'm a new creature. Listen, you cannot live the Christian life God's called you to live effectively. You cannot run into holiness and away from sin the way you should if you keep forgetting that you said goodbye to the old you. If you keep forgetting that you said goodbye to the old enslaved you, you are not the old you. You're a new you. Colossians 1.13 says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not a slave to sin anymore. You are not spiritually dead. You are not the old you. And you need to stop letting voices from your past or the enemy in your present whispering in your ear trying to convince you as a false prophet of anything different than that. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus and his spirit is alive inside of you. You need to keep preaching that to yourself. Why? Because your life tends to move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Set your mind on the truth that you are new, that you are free from sin. I'm not saying you're perfect. We're still gonna struggle. Remember, it's okay to admit your struggles because you're fully known and fully loved. But make no mistake, you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You're free to run from sin. Not perfect, a work in progress, but free in the sense that you have the Spirit of God inside of you and He's raised you with Christ and you have the capacity to say no to sin. You can set your mind on things that are above. That's who you are. That's your new identity. So we're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. Listen. And one day in the future, we're going to experience an existence free from the presence of sin. If that don't set some fireworks off in your heart, you may not be saved. Any blood-bought believer, any born-again believer who's free, a saved person, if you're truly saved and you're thinking right, listen, you can't wait for that moment that you step into the presence of Jesus in a glorified state and you don't have to repent of your sin anymore. You don't have to confess your sin anymore. You don't have to fight against an enemy who wants to destroy your home anymore and destroy your life anymore. That's going to happen if you're in Christ Jesus. Never lose hope in that. It's a promise that you can stand on. You can take to the bank. Free from the presence of sin, free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin. And what is a sinner saved by grace who is in tune with the freedom that he or she has in Christ do, they tell other people where to find freedom. George Whitfield, who was an 18th century preacher, he's arguably more famous than anybody else in the colonies pre-revolution. Um, it's been said that well, he was called America's first celebrity. He probably didn't like that title. But it's uh, said that he, uh, 80% of the colonists... Um, 80% of them, of those early colonists, had all at least heard him preach once. He was, he was a household name. 
And if you look back on history, you know, like many others, he got some things wrong. But the power in this statement still stands. Listen to what he said. We preach the gospel of Christ no further than we've experienced the power of it in our own hearts. We will preach the gospel, declare the gospel, point people to the gospel of Christ no further than than the way we've experienced the power of it in our own hearts. You know what that means? It means every single day we need to get stirred up about the gospel. It It means this. It means if you have drank down the eternal medicine of the gospel down into your broken, terminally ill, sinful soul and have tasted new life and have tasted grace and have tasted a new start and have tasted his forgiveness and have tasted his love and his mercies and if you're applying those gospel truths to your life each and every day and walking in that freedom. I'm not going to keep that to myself. People drinking from a fountain of living water are going to tell thirsty people who have thirsty souls where to find a drink. And people who are free, people who have been set free in a way like we see pictured in this demon-possessed girl by the power of Jesus, free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, one day the presence of sin, you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk through their life telling enslaved people on the winding road that they are on, wayward people who are apart from Christ, who are spiritually enslaved, where to find freedom. So tonight as the fireworks go up into the air and blow up, some of y'all blow one stuff up, and we remember the great freedoms we have in this country, As much as we remember how grateful we are to be citizens of this country, remember that it pales in comparison to the gratefulness that we should feel about being citizens of a heavenly home, of a heavenly city. And we remember that our mission is to use the freedoms God has given us to point lost souls to the real freedom that people need. Let's pray. If you need to be spiritually set free this morning. What I mean by that is you're lost and you need to be saved. Maybe through the testimony of this baptism this morning, maybe through this story, maybe through the gospel, maybe through God's word being preached, maybe through the songs this morning, the Spirit's speaking to you. And I want you to know this, that just acknowledging the story of Jesus Christ is not enough. To agree with it, isn't enough. To acknowledge that Jesus was a historical figure, that he was a good teacher, isn't enough. You haven't, if that's where you're at, you haven't believed anything more than what this, even this demon who possessed this girl believed. She knew the right stuff, uh, and the demon believed it. The problem, the problem is spiritual enslavement, and some of you are still there. And the only way for you to transfer from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, listen to this, is to transfer your trust from you to him. From your own merits to God's mercy. Transform your trust from you to throwing the full weight of faith, the faith of your heart, on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone is the only way you'll be set free. There's some of us here this morning. Maybe you've had a little bit of spiritual amnesia. Maybe you're saved. You've just forgotten how free you truly are. And sometimes because of our flesh, man, we will wander right back up into the prison cells that we've been freed from. The gospel frees us from being real. And once again, we can come back to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, that's not who I am. 
forgive me. And walk out of here feeling that freedom in a fresh way in your heart. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you want to come down to the altar and pray. Maybe you just want to stand and respond by singing this song. You respond in the way that you feel like God's leading you to.